Thanks for listening to the GCC Sermon Podcast. We'd love to meet you for worship on Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Celebrate Christmas Eve with us at a Christmas Eve candlelight at 4 or 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Visit georgetownchristian.org for more info. Georgetown Christian, Merry Christmas. You guys hear me okay? I can't tell because this ear's full because... I've had all that junk that I bet a lot of you have had because it's the season of giving and the season of sharing, and I don't know, they all shared with me, so we have all of that, yes, and thank you. So uh, Matthew one twenty three has kind of been the keystone of our whole series, and I think you know your part. The words will be on the screen. Say them with me when it's your part. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll, be, she'll give birth to a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this morning we're in Matthew chapter 1, and we're in Luke chapter 1. We'll just do a couple of verses from each, and we'll see two characters that inform our question this morning. In our very first week of the series With, we saw that we can enjoy God on the mountaintops, but that we get to know him intimately in the valleys. In our second week, we saw that your deepest need can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. In our third week, we saw that peace comes only in the presence of God. And last week, we saw that God can use storms in our lives for his glory and for others' good. And he can do that by recentering amidst a storm, recentering our hope exclusively on him. We saw that in those storms, he can speak to us through his word, by his spirit in our circumstance and through our conscience. And finally, we saw that he can use our shipwreck to rescue others because God uses the storms for his glory and for our good. So today we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be in Luke also chapter 1, and we're going to see that God is with us in the waiting. God is with us in the waiting. Would you guys say it with me? God is with us in the waiting, and we'll see what we can do in response to God being with us, even though now we're in the waiting for years Well, as we'll see today, many people waited for the arrival of a Messiah. We now celebrate that he already has arrived, and we await his return. But we can look back into Scripture, into history, and be informed by their waiting on how we live our lives in the reality that God is with us in the waiting. I bet you've probably had to wait before. If you're a student you were probably waiting for school to get out. You were waiting for finals to be over. And now break is here and life feels so good. If you're a kid, you may still be waiting. And parents, uh, just a reminder that no matter what time you set your alarm clock for tomorrow morning, uh, there won't be waiting. They will be up at five, four, three, two. Maybe they'll never go to sleep. It's, it's just different for every family. But I remember being a kid and I was not good at waiting when it came, into op- when it came to opening presents on Christmas morning. Uh, if you're a commuter and you have to go that direction, 
we all are waiting for the same thing. And that is by the grace of God, multiple acts of Congress, we may need the Coast Guard and the Navy and the Army and the Air Force. Let's get the Merchant Marines. We'll just give them everything we got. Space Force, right? All of the resources of like this continent we would love to bring to bear to just complete the construction on the Sherman Mitten Bridge. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Waiting isn't easy, especially when you're waiting on life and death matters. Maybe you're waiting for a baby to be born healthy, or maybe you're waiting on a diagnosis that is just uncertain. Maybe you're waiting to see a loved one's health finally improve after you've seen them suffer through painful treatment after treatment after treatment and you're waiting to see that treatment finally restore their health. All through the Bible, we see waiting. And it's clear that waiting is not easy, even for giants in the faith. Case in point, Abraham. Abraham got a bit of an itchy trigger finger. See, whenever uh, we look back at that story, it's easy to say, well, Abraham, you should have waited. But what did Abraham do? He kind of looked at the free agent wives, didn't he? Yeah, he drafted uh, an additional wife, and I know it looks so ignorant now, but he had this promise from God to make his descendants as numerous as the what in the sky? The stars, and on the seashore, the sand. And so Abraham was trying to wait faithfully, but maybe took a wrong turn. Waiting is not easy. We saw Jacob, who waited twice, a period of seven years as he worked for his future father-in-law trying to earn the right to marry Rachel. But first he's tricked into marrying Leah. And then seven more years of waiting and working. And because of his willingness to, to just work and wait faithfully through those seven years twice, we get 12 tribes of Israel out of whom comes Jesus the Messiah. I wonder if it was like in the midst of that second seven years when Jacob is thinking like, is this ever going to end? You know, I kind of feel like the hardest part might actually be the waiting. You know, every day, waiting. You just, you take it on faith, you take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Some of, so are there any Tom Petty, any Tom Petty fans in here? The waiting is the hardest part. I think he might have imagined those lyrics way before they're written. He's just thinking, oh, this waiting, you've got to be kidding me. But he was faithful in that waiting. Then we see Joseph, his youngest son, sold into slavery by his brothers. You could argue that Joseph maybe shouldn't have talked the way he talked to his brothers. Maybe he shouldn't have shared all that he shared. But anyway, he's sold into slavery. He's given uh, to a powerful man. He's accused of something he doesn't do. He's wrongfully imprisoned. And all this time, Joseph is waiting. And he's waiting for God to, to fulfill this vision that he gave him. He really doesn't know what the plan is. But he just has to keep waiting. And in his waiting, he's faithful. And because of his faithful waiting, Joseph is able to save not only Egypt and all of her people, but also his whole family but he had to wait. Because of the, the many examples of the faith, going back through the scriptures, back through history, you and I, we can now see how to wait 
faithfully as we look forward to the future, that is, the return of Jesus or our death, whichever comes first. But we're now in a period of waiting that's just on this side of the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. So what can we learn from Scripture? What can we learn from the examples of those people who've walked before us and they have faithfully waited? Well, how we respond in the waiting depends on whether we live in the truth of Christmas. So before we move forward into seeing how does it look to wait when we know that God is with us in the waiting, we have to center ourselves on the truth of Christmas. And we said it together, and we can say it again. Emmanuel means God is with us. So if God is with us in the waiting, I believe that we wait differently. If God is with us in the waiting, you and I can wait differently than if he's not with us. If we begin to doubt his presence or question whether he's going to come through where he's promised to come through, we might be tempted to call an audible or to go to those free agents, <laughs> draft a new plan while we're waiting on God. But when we remember, when we stand on the foundational truth of Christmas, that God is with us, God became a man, you and I wait differently. So two people, two people we'll look at today, they knew better than anyone that God is with us in the waiting. So let's examine their responses to the waiting that they endured. I'm first starting in Matthew chapter 1, and I'm in verse 18. And I'll read here, and when I read, we're going to come back across verse 23, where you know your part, God is with us. And I want you to read it with me when I read. It'll be on the screens, and if you're following along in your scripture, it's Matthew chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I shouldn't have looked away from my paper. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Your part's coming. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. 
we're going to see in Joseph's life that God is with us in the waiting. And it might take just as long to trace everything we know about Joseph from the New Testament as it will for what we're going to do today, because there's not a lot, there's just not a ton for Jesus' stepdad, Joseph. There's not a ton there. But Joseph knew that God is with us in the waiting. Now, imagining Joseph's life, it's not easy because you and I probably grew up in a culture uh, like most of us, where you have an engagement and then you have a marriage. But in the time of Joseph and Mary, there would have probably been an arranged marriage. So that would take place way before there's ever any engagement, wouldn't there? So in the time of Joseph and Mary, it also would be common for people to get married much younger in life. So you could imagine that maybe they were middle teens. And you you could imagine a lot of things, but all we really know about Joseph is his career was a carpenter. But the Bible gives us much more information about Joseph's character than it does about Joseph's career or many other things we might want to know about. So the first thing we're going to see about Joseph is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And we just read that. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, is good. Matthew is going to show us that, that Joseph is a righteous man. See, Joseph is a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her. So whenever it says a righteous man, that's NLT in the in, uh, <clears throat> in Ivy, it calls him faithful to the law. In the ESV, it says that he's a just man. So to try to put that in like people terms, you and I could agree that for Joseph, he might be the kind of person that were you to see him here at church on Sunday morning, and then later in the week, let's say Friday night, not at church, Saturday night, also not at church. He would be the same man. He would be the same faith-filled man who is placing his hope and his faith in the Lord alone. That would be a good descriptor as Joseph. He was an observant Jew. He was faithful to the law. Second, Matthew shows us that Joseph's belief guided his behavior. So let's, let's not read something that isn't there, but with me real quickly, uh, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, or he was faithful to the law, or he was uh, just. So he was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly so. Now see, that means that this is a causal relationship in this grammatical phrasing. We don't need to get super technical to understand that because he was a righteous man he decided to break the engagement quietly. He was trying to do what in his culture would have been the right thing to do. Joseph, because he was a righteous man, because he was faithful to the law, Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. He was saving her reputation and his own. And he was saying, hey, I know it was arranged, but I can be okay with this not happening. Matthew shows us that second, Joseph's beliefs guided his behavior. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. And then when he was born, he named his son Jesus as he was commanded. See, Joseph lived faithfully to what God commanded. I'm curious, in this season, 
In, this, in, in Joseph's season of waiting for this child to be born, Joseph lived faithfully. So he, got, he knew God was with him in the waiting, and the result was he lived faithfully. So I'm curious for, for you and for me in this season, for all of us, in a season that has become admittedly very commercialized. You, you probably have the same thing we have or had until yesterday. Piles of presents under the tree. And, and so we, we've come a little bit complicit into this commercialization of Christmas. But it's not all commercialization. Uh, what did God do? God gave us Jesus. So it's not entirely crazy to celebrate Christmas by giving. Uh, God gave. So it's maybe the most Christmassy thing you do is to give. So at, at this time of the year when uh, giving is happening, but also when there's maybe some extra commercialization, there's certainly this heightened need to gather with your family, maybe even bring in some of your friends. There's this certain need to be who your family or your friends expect you to be, to play your role, to be the person that you expect you to be at Christmas time, to be the family that you're expected to be at Christmas time. So I wonder in that season of living and waiting, are you living as though God is with you in the waiting? See, Joseph's response was faithfulness. In this season, are we living as though God is with us in the waiting? We can be faithful because God is with us in the waiting. It's not easy, but we can be faithful because God is with us in the waiting. And I want to give you a practical example of how this happens. We just said Joseph did it. We examined Matthew's account of Joseph's life. And it appears that Joseph, because he was a righteous man, guided by his beliefs, his behavior was shaped, and he was faithful to God as God was with him in the waiting. Now, what about someone like Angie? Angie is a single because of divorce woman. And so, of course, she had to pick up a job then uh, when she divorced her husband. And she had these two kids that even in spite of the separation, every Christmas, they would open those stockings that she had carefully packed. See, Angie was really smart. She knew herself. She knew that at the time that Christmas would arrive, money and time would both be very short. So Angie planned all year, and when she would hear that one of her kids needed something through the year, she would buy it. So it's the week before Christmas, and has Angie had a habit of doing. She would bring the stockings down, and she would lay all the items out where she could see them clearly. We've got to make sure they're balanced. We've got to make sure it's fair. You're a parent. You understand how that goes. She's carefully laid out her grown children's stockings on the table, and it's somewhere in the presence of the two stockings and all of the presents that she's bought to stuff into those stockings that she has that pause that's involuntary. It might sound like, and the heart might be a little harder and the throat might just close a little tighter and the eyes might leak just a little bit more because this reality is setting in that on this Christmas morning, those kids won't be there to open those stockings. 
because they're kind of grown and schedules change and they're still going to come open them, but it feels like a death. Because it's a loss, Angie feels that loss. She begins to internalize these circumstances as her new reality. And she understands that God is with her in the waiting. And her waiting may not seem like too much to you because you're thinking, man, it's Christmas morning. You just wait like a couple more days. But if you've walked that road, you know that that's not an easy road to walk. And she's walking it alone. And it was an integral piece of a tradition that they held on to every year. And it was even a practice of her showing her children what it looks like to be just like God and be giving at Christmas time. But you know, Angie, Angie knew that God was with her in the waiting. And here's how Angie knew that. Because, because Angie met a friend decades before her kids ever left the house. Angie met a friend who'd invited her to church. And I need you all to absolutely understand that this centers explicitly on the miracle of Christmas, and that is that God is with us. Because as Angie began attending church with this friend, she grew to understand that she had a sin problem. And you, many of you, have understood that as, as well as I have. And we remain keenly aware of it as we repent of our sin. Well, Angie learned that she had a sin problem, and she began to repent. And then she found out that there was a solution to her sin problem, but that that solution had a name, and it was Jesus. And because Jesus came as God with us, and a man who was also God was willing to come and live a life that was perfect, and then was willing to, to die a death that wasn't his. It was, it was yours, and it was mine. Angie learned that she was able to, by yielding her life to this King Jesus and this Savior Jesus, that she could be buried with him in his death. She could be raised to new life. And that by joining herself to him, she could claim his righteousness. This is all made possible by the miracle of Christmas, that God is with us, the incarnation God became a man. God is with us means that for you and for me and for Angie, we are buried in death. Our sins, they're buried. And we're raised to a new life. And then upon that raising to new life, you and I, we're indwelled by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit works in our lives to connect us, to ground us in the truth of the word which he inspired. It's the word from which we receive this word today. And by that word, Angie, in her regular attendance at this church, in her regular participation in something like a, a Bible study or an elective, Angie grows over time increasingly in her likeness to Jesus. And as a kid, I just have to tell you, I always thought that meant that she kind of had a penchant for Birkenstocks and her hair got longer. I really actually thought that. I did grow my hair out. It's hard to believe. I promise I'm not lying. That's embarrassing. Uh, but I don't miss the hair, to be honest. It was a lot to deal with. Uh, but as much as I love Birkenstocks, what it is that Holy Spirit has done in Angie's life, he does in your life and in my life, 
he increasingly, by the truth that you and I discover in the word that he's inspired and he's led others to write, we increasingly grow into the likeness of Jesus. In other words, we increasingly look loving. We increasingly, more and more, we're able to forgive people that sin against us. And more and more, we're able to offer freely mercy and grace where before we would demand justice. It means that more and more, you and I and Angie, because of the gift of Christmas, God becomes a man, defeats sin, Satan, and death on the cross, and goes into a heavenly sanctuary, we now can become just like Jesus ever increasingly, even as though we're dying to that dead part of us, the sin, the flesh. We, by the Holy Spirit, are made more and more like Jesus every day. So, so what is the job then of a believer who is, who is we have acknowledge the arrival of Messiah Jesus as God the man. But now we're awaiting his return. Well, that's why we look back to Scripture and say, what, what did they do? How did they, knowing that God is with us in the waiting, how did they behave? And we see that in the waiting, Joseph is faithful because God is with us. And we see that, that Angie, in the waiting, is faithful because she learns the truth that God is with us. And he's not just with us, but he indwells us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We can be faithful because God is with us in the waiting. So what is our second person's response? This is where you'll want to flip over to Luke chapter 1. And we want to discover our second person's response. Maybe a little uh, more briefly, because I think we're over halfway here, but <clears throat> we want to discover our second person, and our second person is Mary. And I'm going to begin reading from Luke chapter 1, verse <clears throat> 46. But we need to set it up first. See, when Mary, uh, Mary's response here is recorded by our gospel author, Luke. And Luke is describing for us this moment where where Mary has gone to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And remember, Elizabeth is carrying John, the prophet John. So whenever Elizabeth sees Mary, Elizabeth begins proclaiming how blessed Mary is because of that conception by the Holy Spirit of Jesus within Mary. And when when John, in the womb of Elizabeth, when he hears the voice of Mary, he leaps. And Elizabeth tells Mary that he leaps. And Elizabeth is, is, says the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, and she blesses Mary. And now this is the response that is recorded by Luke to Mary recognizing that in this waiting, in Elizabeth's waiting to have the child John, and Mary's waiting to have the child Jesus, who is God the man, in that waiting, she knows in that moment, God is with us. And this is Mary's response recorded by Luke. And we have one operative word, maybe two here in verse 46. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord! How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior! So, 
take these two out right here and read it through the rest of what I'm reading. Praises and rejoices. Just take those two words and carry them through the rest of what I'm reading here, and you can follow along on the screen. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent away the rich with empty hands. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. See, Mary's response is worship when she discovers that God is with us in the waiting. When Mary recognizes that God is with us in the waiting, her response is worship. It's what is known as Mary's Magnificat. She, she proclaims the goodness of God. She praises God for who he is. She acknowledges that he's merciful across all generations and that he's faithful to uphold his promise. And her response is worship. Because God is with us in the waiting, we worship him. So how has, how has our waiting impacted the worship? Well, maybe, like, maybe like me, you might, you might feel like I would like to see a little bit less bombing and maybe fewer missiles. I might like to see maybe less politicians on trial for all kinds of things that they were not elected to do. And I would like to see them to do what we elected them to do. It would be my very favorite thing to just have a government that's going to work and have a world that's not trying to kill each other. And I would like to have some relative sense of peace. That's how I would like to see the world right now. And we don't necessarily get to choose that. Instead, we're stuck in this time that you and I, we can call the waiting. And I wonder how that impacts our worship. Is the waiting changing you and I? After waiting more than an hour and a half, who's counting? After waiting more than an hour and a half for her date to pick her up, Mandy finally calls it off, uh, at least to herself. She, she takes the evening gown off. She takes off the heels, throws them in the closet, and she grabs her favorite pair of sweats, and she grabs her favorite slippers, and she decides, I'm just going to pop some popcorn, and tonight's going to be a Netflix night. She grabs her popcorn. She grabs a TV remote. She sits down on the couch. And no sooner has she hit the couch and started to do the Netflix perusal for what on earth am I going to watch? She doesn't care. Tonight's a Netflix night. But the minute she sits down on the couch, she hears a knock at the door. A little miffed. She gets off of the couch. She opens the door. And there before her stands her date, dressed, ready, frankly, looking very handsome. He took one look at Mandy and said to her, I'm two hours late, and you're not even ready yet? The waiting can change us. It seems like the longer we have to wait, the more difficult it is. The longer that you and I don't see results, do I have to say January 1st? Do I have to talk about February 1st or March 1st? The longer we have to wait, the more difficult the waiting becomes. 
Maybe your waiting is for peace. You're just, you're waiting for peace. Maybe your waiting is for a, a resolution to come about between you and someone in your family that you have approached time after time in an attempt to repair a broken relationship in the family. Maybe the waiting for you is for that child to just finally listen. And it's in that waiting that we can begin to lose all sight of the truth of Christmas, and that is that God is with us. And we see from the life of Joseph that because God is with us in the waiting, we can be faithful. We see from the life of Mary that because God is with us in the waiting, we can, we can worship him. And I want to just, before we wrap up, practically break down how does, how does God is with us mean that we can worship God? How, how is there ever any access for us to be worshiping a perfect heavenly king? Uh, I think it, it really comes down simply to the fact that because God is with us, we can worship him. That's why that's our second point. So it, it maybe John chapter four, I think verse 23 is the one we'll have on the screen. But John chapter four, you'll remember Jesus meets a woman at a well because he's tired and he's thirsty. He's a man. And scripture says he's also God because right there he reveals to this woman that he's God. But he also teaches us something about worship and it's why, because of Christmas, we can worship the perfect king. Because in this moment with this woman who is, she's not only trying to remain distant from all of her community by going to get water at high noon. You just don't go high noon, you go at 6 a.m. She's here at high noon and Jesus meets her. And as much as she tries to maintain this relational distance by saying, you know what, there's all these arguments about worship between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, and there's just, there's too many arguments, and, I don't, and you guys are arguing about this temple and that temple, and how you really should worship, and Jesus makes it absolutely simple. He says, the hour is coming and is now here. This is after he's announced to this woman, a Samaritan woman, that he is God. He is the Messiah, he says, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him because God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus explained right here in John chapter 4 that because he came as God, the man, and because he was able then to die a perfect death that he didn't deserve, that the, the perfect life he lived allowed him then to go to a perfected heavenly tabernacle where he would enter on our behalf and he would complete one time, the author of Hebrews says, one time for all sin, for all time, a sacrifice that was both perfect, authored by a perfect priest in a perfect heavenly tabernacle, setting right everything that went wrong from Genesis all through scripture, finally made right with God if, if we choose to accept by the faith he gives us that sacrifice for our sin. If we choose to accept his atoning blood covering our sin, we then are set right before God. So how then is, is it possible that as we recognize God is with us in the waiting that we can worship him? It's because he said that he's going to ascend and he did so. He ascended and sits at the right hand of God. And who did he send to live in our hearts and minds? Georgetown Christian, the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit alive and at work within each one of us. So the miracle of Christmas then enables 
It enables our salvation, and it enables also the indwelling of God within us. God is with us, so we can worship Him, but God is with us because He is alive inside each you and I, making us every day more and more into the image of Jesus. Her response, Mary's, was worship because she recognized that God is with us. And it may be crazy to think, how, how, are, how could you possibly say this is so simple, that God is just with us because His Holy Spirit is in us? Well, I'll bring your mind back to, to the simple truth that the whole series has been based on. That's Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And you know your part. It's the central truth of Christmas. It is the truth upon which our redemption is based. It is the truth that we celebrate. And it's recorded by Matthew as he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means Georgetown. God is with us. Because God is with us in the waiting. We worship him. God is with us because Jesus is who he claimed to be by his ministry, by his actions, by his miracles, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection. It was confirmed to all of the eyewitnesses that Jesus was God and Jesus was man. And because of this truth, it means that it is the Lord himself who enables you and I to worship a perfect king in spirit and in truth. Because God is with us in the waiting, we worship him. Now you probably remember Angie. Angie had surrendered her life to Jesus. Angie had, had placed herself in biblical community whereby uh, Paul calls it the washing of the mind with the water that is the word by her regular sanctification by her regular yielding to not what she wanted but to what God wanted she was able then to be ever increasingly transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus just like you just like me where we find ourselves surrendering to him as not just savior, as fire insurance is fake, but as Lord, which means that you're a part of his body, that you're a regular part of his body, not a when it's convenient part, not a when I feel like it part, not a when it works out for me and my family and the weather's nice part, not when we're not taking the boat out part, that we're a regular member of a biblical community, an assembly of believers. In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on to argue time after time all that he said about Jesus' ability to enter that perfect heavenly tabernacle. And in chapter 10, he says, so what then? So what? So what should we do then? So then we should live faithful lives. And he says, you can't give up meeting together. Because that's what they'd started to do. They just kind of gave up. They thought, I got my fire insurance. Everything's pretty good. But friends, how are you going to be transformed like Angie into the likeness of Christ? And I know the culture will tell you, every pop song will tell you, Jelly Roll will tell you, that you can find church in all kinds of places. And I assure you it is true that you can find God in lots of places. 
but you will not be in his church unless you place yourself in regular biblical community whereby the preaching of his word, by the teaching of his word, by the activity of his Holy Spirit, by the fellowship of the believers, we are joined together. We are transformed into his image. And as Paul says, we are connected into the head. Friends, if you are not very clear on this, let me make it clear. If you're not in a regular biblical community, you are not connected to the head. That is Jesus Christ. You are not connected to the head. That is Jesus Christ. That is in your Bible. That is in the book of Ephesians. You can find it yourself. But friends, because God is with us in the waiting, we can live faithfully and we can worship him as the God who became man. We can live lives that glorify him in our everyday actions as we seek to become followers of Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful for the gift of Jesus, God with us. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you continue transforming us into your likeness. As he guides us into the truth we find in your word, as he convicts us of sin, as he guides us back to the path that connects us to you, as you trim off the things that are not necessarily needed to be part of our lives anymore, that vine dresser that prunes the vine so it can be stronger, Father, help us to yield to you. Father, as you call families back together, we pray for healing where there's brokenness. Father, as people hold grudges, and refuse to let go and forgive. Father, we pray this season for forgiveness. Father, where people are just unwilling this season to be a giver of mercy as you have been. Father, would you make us merciful? Father, would by your activity in our hearts, would you be ever increasingly showing this world the light that we reflect, which is you? as you make us into your image. Father God, may you be glorified. As we are faithful and as we worship, because you're with us in the waiting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.